In your Bibles again to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. It's the same text, same title. <clears throat> I had three points on the back of your bulletin. I kind of overviewed and s- touched on all of those a little bit. Today will just be point number two, which is fruitful. <clears throat> and so we'll be looking at two things under the word fruitful from this text. We'll be looking at abiding, and we'll be looking at what is fruit. Let's read the text, John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let us pray. Father, I ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you will bring us understanding of this text. You will apply it to our hearts. We will apply it to our lives. And we will benefit by the truth that is taught in this text today. Lord, help us to have communion, to be close to the vine. That's our responsibility, Lord to remain in union with you. And Lord, you will be the one who produces fruit through us that we bear upon our branches. We pray this by your Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. In the sense of an introduction, again, a two-part introduction, I, I can't pronounce the names correctly. I just pronounce them the way I taught them to myself. Uh, I don't know how they're pronounced. I want to tell you about a lady... And I want to tell you about a man, and I'll introduce it, and I'll conclude it at the end of the sermon, but I do want to say this one thing. Uh, the man that I'm going to introduce to you is Abraham Kuyper. I'm not endorsing all of his theology. I'm not endorsing all of his writing, uh, but he did write and do some good things, and I know why he did, and there's a lot of positive that came out of his life, but I'm just giving that disclaimer that I don't buy all of his theology. But there's a lady that you don't know, <clears throat> probably never heard of, and I'm going to pronounce her name Page, Page Balthus. Page Balthus kept a small holding near the church of Bessid. The 25-year-old Abraham Kuyper was called to be the pastor of. So he comes there in 1863. And as the pastor there, he had been influenced previously by theological modernism. And then he began to take the gospel of God and filter it 
through a rationalistic framework, which made a mess of the gospel and made it no gospel at all. It was very watered-down, man-centered, weird stuff that he preached at his first church. He was spiritually bankrupt, and this loss of the Christian message was clearly displayed in his first months of his preaching. (laughs) And many of his concerned congregation were like, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? Now i got this liberal pastor just making a mess of the gospel. Well, in the midst of this little church was this Peje Balthus. She was a lady that was 33 years of age. Well, she wasn't too impressed with him. And one night or one afternoon, the pastor, Abraham Kuyper, and an elder came to her house and knocked on her door uh, and she, he began this conversation with him, but here's her attitude as he came to the door. This is what she said earlier about her pastor. She said, that rascal might as well stay away from me. I don't care for him. I've heard so much already of his superficial doctrines. I won't have any of it. She was soon confessing to God her wrong attitude about the young minister And then he arrived, knocking at the door. And he puts out his hand to shake her hand. She ain't having it. She ain't shaking his hand. They were not one in understanding about the great things of life, so she's not going to give him that kind of welcome. Well, they talked together about the price of potatoes. She had a pile of potatoes there in the yard, and I guess he thought it was a good conversation piece. So he started talking about potatoes. But finally, she said, look, you haven't come here to talk about potatoes. You want, you've come to talk about spiritual things and about what my only hope in life and death is. And we will return to that story later on in the message this morning. Now, as we look at John 15, as I told you, we're looking at the second point on fruit. And so we pick up verses 3 through 8, which is much of the sermon But I want to at least gather two things a little more clearly today. What does it mean to abide? And what fruit are we talking about? It's one thing to preach to have fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. But if we don't know what it is, we can kind of lose the sense of the sermon. And we also must know that whatever the fruit is, it cannot be produced without abiding. That's an impossibility. You can't produce fruit unless you're connected to this vine. The branches don't produce fruit. The vine produces it. The branch just carries it or displays it. So as we revisit and go back to these verses 3 through 8, I remind you of verse 3, and I want you to see this. I won't spend much time here on verse 3 again, but already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. We're now speaking to the eleven. You're already clean. You're already purified. As Paul says in Titus, to the pure all things are pure. Well, let me give you a quote here by D.A. Carson to set this before you. But Carson says, The cleansing power of the word Jesus has spoken to his disciples then is equivalent to the life of the vine pulsating through the branches. What is being communicated to some degree here 
is that this word that we contain in writing, in this thing that we call the Bible, the spoken words of Jesus are the written words of Jesus, and in these words, there's this power to cleanse, to purify. So, Yes, certainly in the sense of justification, when the God of heaven verbally declares you just because of his son Christ, yes, you are justified and clean. But then there's this ongoing power, like in Isaiah 6, our memory passage, where the Christian is going through repentance and being shaped and formed into the image of Christ, this happens Through this book. Why do we do scripture memory? Why do I encourage you to read your Bibles every day? Why do I encourage you to meditate and to memorize, to spend time in this book? Why? This book makes you clean. Obviously, we worship Christ, but the means he's given us to know and understand him is this book. It is his words that have this purifying power. Make the connection. You're not as holy as you want to be. You're not as righteous as you think you ought to be. You're not seeing a great spiritual revival in your life. What's your relation to this book? Here's what I hear. I don't hear what everybody says, but in the world that I live in, this is the most common thing I hear. I read this on Facebook. I read this argument. I read this religious principle. I read this religious truth. And all these people are arguing about this religious subject. And all these people are arguing about this religious subject. And I've been looking into this belief. And I've been looking into that belief. And I'm looking into all these things. And you won't believe what he said, she said, and they said. I'm going to tell you what I've been spending time in this week. The same thing I've been spending time in for the rest of my Christianity, all of my life, because here is where the truth is that will purify me. I read nothing on the internet about religion this week. I read nothing out there that is published about religion. I can tell you what I've read. I've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and Joshua. That's what I've read. And in all of that reading, I have been revitalized. I've been strengthened because it's the word that purifies. This is where the power is, not in what so-and-so is writing. He's saying to them, the word I've spoken to you, not the word the Pharisee spoke, not the word the Pharisee wrote about, not the latest book that came out on the contemporary press, this word that Jesus speaks, that's what cleanses you. If you're not clean, I ask you, what's your relationship? What have you been doing? Are you connected with this book? And then, after you see a purification there, (laughs) I have to remind you, A.W. Pink also said this, we cannot go on to learn of him what is needful fruit-bearing unless we first drink of this word. How are you going to bear fruit unless you're drinking out of this source? Then he talks about production. I just want to Note to you in verse 2, 4, and 5, just kind of a progression. Verse 2, bear fruit. The end of verse 2, more fruit. Verse 5, much fruit. There's this progression, and that is the truth of all Christianity. Every Christian bears fruit, and every Christian through time bears more fruit. And every Christian through time bears much fruit. Why? Because they're connected in communion with God divine. Then we get to this position of abiding. 
and you see this throughout the text, all the way down to verse 16, you will have the word abide at least 11 times in 16 verses. Now, as we think about this, we've decided this is a mutual imperative, and it's translated this way as a mutual imperative. Let us both remain in each other. Let there be, be mutual indwelling. So you, in, in, a, in, a, in a mutual imperative, you get a responsibility on both sides. Jesus is promising to abide in you, and you are commanded to abide in him. In other words, you have responsibility here. When you're given a command, there's responsibility that comes with the command. You don't abide by osmosis. You don't abide in in the sense of just going through life and showing up at church every now and then. I'm trying to remind you that abiding takes effort by you. You can't work on a relationship unless you invest something into it. It takes responsibility from you. It is a mutual abiding. Why? Because no branch possesses life within itself. If that branch is not connected to the vine, it's dead. There's no fruit production going to happen. Now, this mutual abiding, you see it in verse 7. You see this idea, uh, if you abide in me, in verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. All I want to say about this is that the most nat- this is the most natural course of the true believer. Being... When you're in this relationship and you're in this communion, prayer becomes the natural part of your Christianity. Now, let me put it this way. The mutual abiding is connected to and synonymous with his word abiding. To abide in him is to abide in his word. They all come together. Thus, the prayer of whatever you will, which is in verse 7, is in harmony with whatever the Word says. It's in harmony with Jesus' words. In other words, pray whatever you will. I will that what Jesus said would become true. It would become in agreement. Thus, you pray in accordance to the Word of God. The most revolutionary things that ever happened to me in my prayer life was learning how to pray the Bible. The other week when I was teaching on Zoom, all these 19 pastors down in South America, and I was showing them how to pray their sermons. Pray the text for yourself. Pray the text for your congregation. And this one guy, Kiki, he's like, I've never heard of such. Can I do this every week? He, he never caught the concept of praying the Bible just word for word through the lines, and it really affected him. It ought to affect you as well. That way we would pray in harmony with the Word of God. Now, this abiding, let's get a little bit more specific. Positional and progressive. Abiding, positional and progressive. Two two thoughts here to start off. To be, here's the phrase, in Christ. In Christ. See it a lot in Paul's writings. In Christ. To be in Christ, think about that phrase, is positional. I'm in him. That's my position. The New Testament never exhorts anyone to be in Christ. You're not exhorted to be in Christ. If you're converted, that's your position. 
You're already in him. But repetitively throughout Scripture, we are exhorted to abide. You're not exhorted to be in because if you're converted, you're in. But there's this abiding thing that we are exhorted to. We're excited. This is the ongoing necessity of the Christian life. So as we're exhorted to abide in him, why? Why are we exhorted to? Because abiding in the vine can be interrupted. It can be interrupted, right? So I'm in Christ, that's my Christianity, but progressively as I go through life and I get caught up in the busyness and all of the things, I can get my abiding relationship interrupted. And then I wake up three weeks into the deal wondering where my prayer went, wondering where my scripture reading went, wondering where my scripture memorization went, wondering where my meditation went. It's been so long that I've spent time with Christ, I don't even understand the hymn sweet hour of prayer anymore. Ah, your relationship has been interrupted. Note, repent, repent, turn, come back to the vine. The answer is in the vine. You say, I've got this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. You go ask Dr. Field, I'm sure he can give you a lot of answers. You come here and the pastor says, go to the vine, go to the vine. I'm spiritually dried up, go to the vine. I'm not evangelistic, go to the vine. I don't have a heart for the things of God, go to the vine. You must be in the vine. That's where this fruit bearing will come from. Abiding involves maintaining a relationship. You all can have the same story as I have. We all have these. How many relationships have you had over the course of your entire life that have died because you stopped calling someone? And... They stopped calling you. Look, I can go through all these in my head. I sit here, I see flashes of names and, 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 and p- images are flashing through my head even now. People that were dear. I'm not, not even in this church, before this church. People I went to the house and ate with and walked with and fished with and hunted with. And man, we were like this. And it's just like, oh man, they're some of the best friends in the world. I love these people and they loved me and I think it was all genuine. And then, and then I move and, and I didn't call the one week. And that one week turned into two weeks and turned into three weeks. And now I haven't talked to him in ten years. The same thing is happening in the Christian church. We stop calling upon the Lord. We stop going to him in prayer. We stop communing with him. And we're like, wonder what's wrong with our spiritual life. And every week, he's dialing your number. Every week you hear a sermon preached. Every day you walk by and see the Bible on the coffee table. And every morning when you get up and you see the beauty of creation, he's calling. You need to answer the phone and spend time with the vine. Because unless you're in the vine, there's no fruit to be produced in your life. There's a guy by the name of Campbell. I don't know his first name, but he is pink, often quotes him. He says, uh, Campbell says, to abide in him then is to have, here's the phrase, sustained conscious communion. Sustained conscious communion with him. Sometimes people say stuff like this. I don't understand why Jesus prayed all night. Like if he's God and knows everything, why does he pray all night? You just stated you don't understand that Jesus understands and knows the Father. Of course he prayed all night because he lived in communion with his Father. We're to learn from that. Why do I pray? You say, well, you're a Calvinist and you believe everything. God's sovereign does whatever he wants. Why do you pray? Why would I not 
I fell in love with Christ. I want to spend time with him. This, this, is, this is goofy as saying, why do you talk to your spouse? Aren't you married? It didn't make any sense at all. Of course I talk to my spouse. Why? Because there's a love relationship. You stop talking to your spouse and you won't have one. You want some evidence of what this looks like? I'll give you some. By the way, it's just, that thought is the same as John 56, 56, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. A constant drawing from him. But let me give you some evidence. You know this verse, Acts 4, 13. <laughs> Talking about Peter and John and their boldness. You know what the pagans, lost God-haters said? They said, <laughs> they recognize... They don't agree with nothing these two guys are saying. But these two dudes have been with Jesus. These two dudes have been with Jesus. It's my loose translation, right? Nobody talks like that and acts like that unless they're connected to the vine. And that was what was displayed there by those two men. An abiding relationship with Christ should distinguish us from the world. A Christian, listen, a Christian who is in a season of barrenness. I don't know if this is you or not. If it is, it's here. If you're in a season of barrenness, the reason you're in this season is because of not abiding. It's an absence of prayer. It's an absence of Bible intake. It's an absence of Bible memorization or meditation. Show me a person who has an ongoing prayer life, an ongoing Bible reading life, an ongoing memorization and meditation that's fruitless. Show me somebody that stays camped out with a vine on a regular basis on days that end in a Y, and show me one like that that doesn't have fruit. You can't do it because every Christian that communes and stays connected to this vine, fruit comes out because the vine produces it. So you say, I don't have any fruit. You've just confessed that you're not in union then go to the vine. There's so many things that are going on in your life that you put in a priority over communion with Christ. You're trying to live off your blessed assurance from way back when, and you're missing out on the daily vitality of hanging out with Jesus. Could you, in any given week, during any given day, spend an hour with no sound? No music. No TV, no computer, no iPad, no phone. Do you have the ability to turn a phone off? Could you do that for an hour? You say, why would I do that? To spend time with the king. To be in the vine. Well, I was trying to pray, but my phone rang. My phone don't ring. Not while I'm praying. Just turn the thing off. They're really excited. You just push this button, you can turn them off. And they won't ring. No matter who calls. And so during that time, you won't be distracted from the vine. People say to me, well, what if something happens while my phone's turned off? Do you not think God can handle the world without you? Do you not think that he can control the whole universe without your help? Trust him, turn it off, and commune. Stay connected to the vine. If not, you will not produce fruit. If you desire to be fruitful, you must draw near the vine. And I don't ever want to leave out people who are older than me. And so let me give you this word if you're older than me. Psalm 92. 
It's a great passage. You can turn there if you like. You can just hear. I'm going to read two verses or so. Psalm 92. Neil McClendon preached this at Mr. Shaver's funeral. And it was true of Mr. Shaver. Handicapped, old, and feeble, barely getting along. And these words were true of him. His wife had died. He's home alone. But yet this is still was true of him. Psalm 92, 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Look at verse 14. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Mr. Shaver was planted in the church. And all his roots went deep. And he was the kindest, humblest, sweetest man to be around. He was planted there. And all the nutrients that came up into his life and flowed out was from that being planted in this vine. Plant yourself in the things of God. Be very near to the vine that those type of things would come out of your life. And when it does, your life becomes a display to the glory of God. In verse 8, you remember this in verse 8? I think the ESV says prove that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's the Greek word genomai, which means to be or to become. It has a, you can add to that definition this. To come into a certain state or possess certain characteristics. To be, to prove to be, to turn out to be. The fruit-producing person throughout the course of his life until he dies turns out to be, proves to be, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the enduring to the end. This is the one who saved. Many have a, a rocket ship Christianity. They take off with lots of noise, lots of smoke, and lots of fire. It's, they just burn out really quick. But true Christianity is like this lady Page, or like Mr. Butler, or, or like Mr. Shaver, who kind of started out slow and didn't make national attention anywhere, but they just kept letting their roots sink down, and they were planted in the house of God, and they were tied to a vine, and they allowed that tie to that vine to have fruit produced through them. Humble, consistent, and lovers of Christ. That's what you want to be. That's what you want to be. Now, Abiding is the necessity. Without it, you cannot produce any fruit. Now, secondly, this morning, only two things. This is the second one. If you have a pen and paper, I rewrote the sermon again yesterday to make it easy. I'm going to give you ten fruits. I won't spend a lot of time on all of these, but I want to give you ten fruits that we can at least know of. And I'll give you the Scripture references to go with them. And I made it really short. I made every one of them start with an R. I don't know why, but I did. But you can make them one word. Number one. This, so you say, oh, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. What are fruits? Here are ten. Number one, repentance. This is an internal thing. I know it has external observations. But repentance begins internally. Starts in the heart. The Spirit of God does this re- work of repentance. You say, well, give me a text. Matthew 3 8 through 10, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The Christian life 
that abides in the vine has an ongoing reality of repentance. In Christianity, you look back over 10 years, and over a 10-year period, you look back and you say, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone, and that's gone. Where did they go? Repentance rid me of them. And there's this growth that happens. Look, way back when, when I was a young Christian, I used to struggle with tobacco. Then I struggled with my words. Then I struggled with this. And I struggled with that. And I look back and I'm like, I don't even know where the tobacco thing is anymore. God took that out in Lolita, Texas, at First Baptist Lolita, when I was the youth minister, driving down the road in my pickup truck, thinking this is not a prime example to dip snuff while leading the youth program. And so I threw it out. It's repentance of that and repentance of other things and now I'm dealing with other issues I don't even know I had. That's what repentance is. It's a fruit of Christianity. God's always working in us, molding and shaping us. When was the last time you repented of anything? You have to think about that for yourself. Number two, real life. Real life is the externals. There are external fruits, real life, day-to-day stuff. Let me give you two examples you know well. Matthew 7, 16 through 20. Matthew 12, 33. You will recognize them by their fruits. It's externally observed, right? It's real life. I can see by your life whether the fruit is good or whether the fruit are bad. And he asks these rhetorical questions. Do you gather grapes from thorn bushes? Do you gather figs from thistles? And Jesus goes on, every healthy tree bears good fruit, every one of them, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruits. Matthew 12, 33, the tree is known by its fruit. This is day-to-day. This is your words, your actions, your decisions, your attitudes. Who you are out there is bearing or displaying the fruit of your heart. It's real life. So it can be good or bad. Number three, reality. The reality is that the Word bears fruit in your life. The parable of the sower. The seed is the Word. It's sown in the good soil. And when it's sown in the good soil... 30, 60, and 100 fold. When this word is planted in a good heart, there's going to be produce. That's what's going to happen. It's the logical outcome of the Christian life. So a fruit is word intake in order that the word can do fruit bearing in your life. I would say to you this love the word, love the preaching of the word. Believe the Word, honor the Word, and seek the Word. All of those are in this Word relationship. Number four, reflection. Wherever you go, you carry His name. He says in Romans 7, 4, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. Why? So that you would belong to another, to Him who's been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit... For God. We, we reflect His name in all that we do. All of that is a fruit. Every day that you're out there and you live in a way that gives glory to God, that's a fruit that comes from the vine pulsating through you. Number five, righteousness is a fruit. 
What is righteousness? There's a lot of ways to define it, but for this morning, to agree with God, that's what's right. To agree with God. 2 Corinthians 9.10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Doing what is right. Hating what he hates. Loving what he loves. Agreeing with God about whatever he says. This is righteousness. Do I not? He says in Psalm 119, 104, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Everything is false, I hate it. Everything is true, I love it. This is the fruit of righteousness. If God's for it, I'm for it. You go back to Sergeant York. If he again it, I'm again it. I'm not with it. I'm only with what God says is good. Number six, rays of light. Rays, parentheses of light. This is the trifecta fruit. Ephesians 5, 7 through 9 in the NASB. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, live as children of light, for here is the fruit of the light. The fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. We are rays of this light, and that's what gets produced by light. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. I think those three things speak about these three categories. Character, who you are, calling, what you're about, and conviction, what you won't compromise. That's the rays of light. This is your character on display. This is who you've been called by and what you've been called to. And here's your conviction. If the world needs anything today, it's a man or a woman of conviction that will believe something. It's rays of light. Number seven, reaching. Reaching. Has to do with advancing the gospel. You say, why do you say reaching as a fruit? Because Colossians 1, 3 through 6, Paul's giving thanks to the Colossian church. And he says, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel. It's come to you. It's come to the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing. Reaching out for the souls of men is a fruit of Christianity. If you stay tied to the vine long enough... You'll develop a burden for people who don't know the gospel. You'll be like Mr. Butler, and you'll be going to Mexico and walking around passing out tracts and saying, Ola, 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 and giving out tracts with a broke arm. Because as you abide with the vine, you start being concerned for gospel advancement. Oh, this is going to help the gospel? I'll give money. I'll pray. I'll go. I'll be a part. And reaching becomes a part of your fabric of who you are. Tracks, missions, going, giving, making disciples, praying, all of those things happen. Number eight, rod, R-O-D. The rod of discipline is a fruit. Don't mistake it. It is a fruit. Hebrews 12, 11 tells us the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is the fruit of an obvious conversion. God disciplines the son whom he loves. The Christian has continual correction in his life. If you want another word, then we'll go back to John 15. 
pruning happens to Christians. Things get cut off. Things get cut out. Why? Because these things are distractions, and he wants you to produce more fruit. So as you abide in the vine, every unhealthy thing in your life gets disciplined out. That's what the rod is for, for correction. Number nine, revere has to do with worship. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Earlier, I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating or trying to sound spiritual, but that one song that we were singing, I, I couldn't sing any louder. <laughs> My eyes started getting a little wet. It was just so exciting to exalt the Lord. I mean, that's what we do. That's a fruit. You see, you see, you see, in church, and you see people that have this great love, and they just sing out for God. You know, you know what their deal is going on? They've been with the vine all week, and they've been given a place to express what's happened with their relationship with the vine. And they join with brothers and sisters in Christ. They lift their voice up, and they just sing to the glory of God. This is a fruit, and I need all of your fruit, and you need my fruit. We have all this fruit together as we exalt the King. You ought to say amen. We ought to be attentive to preaching, which is the very heart of worship. Singing's not even the heart of worship. Preaching is the heart of worship. And give. The greatest thing that ought to happen in the church, please bring the plate all week long. I've just wanted to express my love to the vine. And now I have an opportunity to give to him and say, I trust you with everything. Here's my offering. And if you've got anything else you want me to do, I'll give that too. Joyful. And, you know, I, all my life, 10%, 10%. I agree, 10%. But oh, that it would be more that my heart would be, Lord, is there some way I can bless the church? Is there some way I can give more to you? Is there something I can do for missions? Is there any way I can give more away? Because the more I give, the more blessing I receive. Praying in worship. Sunday we have an opportunity to pray. The whole front ought to be filled with people on their knees crying out to God. They've been in communion with the vine all week. And now we all gather here at the steps, here at this platform. And we bow on our knees and we pray and spend time with brothers and sisters communing before God in the heart of worship. But I know it takes a lot of effort to walk forward and all that kind of stuff. Number 10, reasonable. Reasonable. That's your 10th fruit. We say reasonable. Reasonable is spiritual fruit. And that's our Galatians passage. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's not even a law against those things. And these are reasonable things that every Christian ought to have. Now, you know, I was raised in the old Southern Baptist church and been in the church all my life. And in my church experience, the older people always got more bitter and more grouchy. But it's not true of any man or any woman who stays in the vine. My grandmother didn't become that way. For 102 years, she didn't become that way. You're never bitter and crusty and grippy. You sit at my grandmother's feet. You're like, man, I want to spend more time with this lady. It's just a joy. I felt like I was spending time with somebody who knew Jesus. It ought to be that way for me when I'm 102. It ought to be that way for you. I mean, I mean my grandmother the priest on the street. She never went on a mission trip per se, but she sure was in the vine. 
And fruit came out of that. If I summed up all of these ten things together, I would say Christ-like affections. Christ-like affections are the fruit. To love what He loves, to be conformed to His image, to, to be so like Him, to imitate Him. All fruit comes from Him. As the minor prophet says, minor prophet being Hosea, Hosea said it this way, O Ephraim, what do I have to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. Note, I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Hosea 14.8. From me comes your fruit. You want fruit, you're going to have to be with him. Now, in the beginning, we talked about Peugeot, and we talked about Abraham Kuyper. Here's a 33-year-old lady and a 25-year-old liberal, off-centered preacher. And there he is standing at her door talking about potatoes. She spoke to him when they came to the door. She said, you didn't come here to talk about potatoes. And so she began to speak to him about her faith in Jesus Christ. This 30-year-old lady spoke to Abraham Kuyper for an hour about her faith in Christ. He listened. He never said a single word in reply to her. He was deeply affected by her words, so much so that he returned the next day. The other elder didn't come with him. He came back, and he listened to her for two more hours. You know what happened? His preaching began to change. He became deeply troubled about his life. Well, Peje said, you know what? He can't come every day. I'll just start praying for him. She starts interceding to God on his behalf. And Kuiper goes on a spiritual holiday in England. And he comes back from England. He returns refreshed. All that journey over there, Peje, this 33-year-old lady, is praying for his soul. He comes back absolutely convinced of triple knowledge. Triple knowledge? Yes. Man's guilt, God's gospel remedy, and man's responsive gratitude. He comes back saying, look, all men are guilty. The gospel is true, and we ought to be thankful that God sent his son. His whole framework changes. He comes back even believing the Heidelberg Catechism. And after four years, he leaves and goes to another city. Page had been like Priscilla in Acts 18.26, who taught Apollos a more accurate way. In a number of late sermons from the pulpit, I remind you, before he left Bessid, Kuiper would address the congregation, and he would inform them with apologies that he had ignorantly shown them the wrong way but that he had come to a different understanding that one had to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And he openly asked the church to forgive him for his bad teaching. You not see all ten of the fruits in him and in her? Seeing repentance, seeing the reality, seeing the word invested in his life, all of those things. This little 33-year-old lady <laughs> stands for these principles, bears fruits, invests in his life. Abraham Kuyper becomes a pastor. He writes lots of books, wrote an immense work on common grace, founds a university, becomes the prime minister of the Netherlands, and asks these questions. Would any of that occurred if a young woman had not spoken to him of her Savior 
and his teaching. She was given grace to speak to him, and Kuiper was given the grace to listen to her and all the other evangelical Christians around him. He listened instead of arguing. He was willing to openly engage in the disagreement rather than run away. He says, Abraham Kuyper later says when he writes, I did not myself, I did not set myself against them, and I still thank my God that I made the choice I did. Their unwavering persistence for my mind and understanding has been a blessing for my heart, the rise of the morning star in my life. Here's the last line you need to hear. This is what he also wrote. He is your friend who pushes you nearer to God. So I would say and reword, he is your friend. He would push you nearer to the vine. All I've said to you in all of these wranglings this morning is this. There is no life outside of the vine. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, be united to the vine in order that you can have the fruits that would bear glory for the God of heaven. If there's no fruit in your life, make no mistake about it, you're not with the vine enough or not with the vine with the right heart. Connect yourself in communion to the vine. The fruits will come naturally. Let's pray as Brother Jeff comes to lead us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word this morning. Help us, O God, to abide. Help us not to be lazy. Help us not to give up. Help us not to be busy about goofy things. Lord, help us to fight for our time with you. And Lord, as far as the fruit production goes, that's yours. Lord, produce whatever fruit you want to produce out of us. Whatever fruit, however you want it produced. But Lord, help us to be disciplined to remain in the vine. We pray these things by your Spirit in Christ's name. Amen.